Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Buffalo Shots Podcast. Hello again and welcome to another Horror Shots Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. What's Morbidly Beautiful? Well, you should know by now if you are a regular listener, but if you're brand new to the podcast, then Morbidly Beautiful is a fantastic website dedicated to all things horror, pop culture related. So if you love movie reviews, top 10 lists, recommendations, interviews, whatever you want, they have it on that website. So go check them out. 100% fantastic. I check them every day, and I even write stuff for them every once in a while. So it's a great place to go get all your pop culture horror information. Secondly, the contest is still running. And if you remember correctly last week, that you can now leave a podcast review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, as well as Stitcher. If you leave a review on either one of those sites, then you will be entered into the draw to win some merch or a photography print or whatever your heart desires. If you do leave a review, be sure to email me at horrorshotspodcast at gmail.com or, you know, DM me on any social media site and I will get back to you. I just need to get your information so I know where I'm sending the stuff should you be the winner. Now, the winner will be announced the first podcast of October, so you have until the very last podcast in September to leave a review. And you'll have a few days after that as well because I won't be recording the winner until, you know, after that podcast goes up. Only makes sense. So that is, if you do want to win something, leave a review. That's the last thing I'm going to plug today before we get back into our podcast series on the Erie USA. So last week we covered Alaska. The week before that we covered Alabama. So next up we have Arizona. Now, Arizona, to me, if you've read the description or the article on Morbidly Beautiful, that Arizona is a very unique place to me. I live in Ontario, southern Ontario. As beautiful as it is here, it is nothing like those southern states, especially the southwest ones, like the Arizonas, Nevadas, even parts of California. It's all barren. It's all desert. It's all very, very different from what I'm used to. And there's a certain intrigue that comes along with that sort of environment, something that I don't get to see ever. So I got kind of excited when I uh, got to check out some of the urban legends of Arizona, of which there are many. Arizona is one of those places that has a rich history and rich culture, both in terms of the native tribes who live there, such as Navajo, or even the settlers that crossed the country in order to expand and survive. There's a ton of stories about ghosts and hauntings from the days of the gold rushes, where people travel literally across country on a carriage in order to hopefully find that little piece of gold that will make them rich. But I had to focus on something a little more supernatural, a little more tangible, if you will. And I do recall doing something like this a long time ago called the Wendigo. Now, I did a podcast on the Wendigo, oh, about a year ago, 
at this point now, and it was a fun podcast, but I didn't get all the information I really wanted. And I figured, what better time to revisit that than when I get to look through the eerie United States? And it turns out that the Skinwalker has a very, very prominent presence within Arizona. So I do have a few different sources and a few different stories, so this podcast may run a little bit longer than the other parts of the eerie United States up to this point, which run about 15 minutes or so. So this one might be a little bit longer, so buckle up. This one comes from legends.atavist.com, and it is all about the Skinwalker. It starts with a small warning, and it says, Before we get started, there must be given the following advice, which according to legend, comes straight from the Navajo people themselves. Quote, The first rule of Skinwalkers is, you don't talk about them. Period. When it comes to these beings, try not to think about them too hard, and whatever you do, never say the name out loud. So we're going to break that rule right now. The name alone hints of something which could raise the hair on your arm with the supernatural. There are many Navajos who firmly believe in the existence of skinwalkers and refuse to discuss them publicly for fear of retribution because they believe the beings walk freely among the tribes and secretly can transform under the cover of night. In Navajo cultural beliefs, witchcraft itself is regarded as a taboo subject because it deals with concepts and objects surrounding death. Therefore, meaning the Navajo people are strictly prohibited from ever speaking of such things. Skinwalkers are most commonly encountered near native reservations, though they have been seen all over the United States. The best documented skinwalker beliefs are those of the Navajo, Yenaldushi. The Yenaldushi are said to be evil human beings who have gained supernatural power by having murdered a close relative. By committing the cultural taboo, these what have been called witches, can become a skinwalker. This ability allows them to be able to transform themselves into animals where they would appear slightly too large, disproportionate, have red glowing eyes, and place curses upon people. Those who have reported seeing skinwalkers say they are slightly deformed in their animal state with a dull and unreflective eyes, as opposed to real animals which generally have a glisten or a glint to their eyes when light is shined upon them. Although a skinwalker possesses the ability to assume the form of any animal, it is most often reported in the forms of a few key carnivorous animals, such as a coyote, a fox, an owl, a crow, or a wolf. Actually, the Navajo term, yi naldushi, literally translates to, with it he goes on all fours. This is a reference to the special ability to transform into a four-legged animal. According to most modern descriptions, this seems to be the only real determinant for defining someone as a skinwalker. According to University of Nevada, Las Vegas anthropologist Dan Beneshik, who specializes in the study of Native Americans of the Southwest, says, quote, Skinwalkers are purely evil in intent. I'm no expert on it, but the general view is that skinwalkers do all sorts of terrible things. They make people sick, they commit murders, they are grave robbers and necrophiliacs, they're greedy and evil people who must kill a sibling or other relative to be initiated as a skinwalker. They supposedly can turn into were-animals and travel in a supernatural ways. Navajo rangers are one of the few who will respond to paranormal cases since regular law enforcement does not give much credence to the report of paranormal activity. Rangers John Dover and Stan Milford over the years together managed a section called the Special Projects Unit, that sometimes took paranormal reports from Navajo people. 
Navajo Rangers are well-trained officers of the law, but no amount of training could apparently prepare them for some of the strangest reports of the unusual paranormal suspects they were to come across. Dover Milford say that they have rolled on reports of the usual paranormal suspects, such as ghosts, Bigfoot, and UFOs, and they have also investigated sightings of creatures of Navajo lore, such as skinwalkers. Dover apparently made it to the rank of lieutenant before retiring and was in charge of supervising the Arizona and Utah state side of reservations. It is also worthy to note that he did once say that paranormal cases only account for probably less than 1% of all their investigations, but 1% is still a percentage and is still kind of interesting. I'd like to talk to that guy one day. I probably never will get the chance, but, you know, it'd be fun. The second source I have here caused me a little bit of strife. I'm not 100% sure I should be using it as it seems to be a very personal account of skinwalkers from the website The Phoenix Enigma. And it's written by a guy called Corey Daniels, who is a certified interpretive guide. He also does research on the side as well. And everything on his website is in the first person or first-hand account of what people have told him. So I don't feel super comfortable reading it verbatim like I do some other sites. But I'm going to do my best here. Because everything on here is very interesting. And he says that in 1999 or 2000, he was at a campfire gathering near Wikiup in Arizona. A number of people were invited, including himself and some other men who happened to be Navajo. It was an evening just like any other, and as it wound down and most of the people left, he did take the opportunity to ask some of the Navajo who were invited about skinwalkers. Seems a little random to just ask somebody about skinwalkers, but I mean, it was his passion, I guess you could say. Now, the first account here comes from a place called Cameron, Arizona. And to the west of the town, up in the messes, lived a woman who everybody knew was a skinwalker. His mother had told him to stay away from the area, and if he or his friends ever saw her, they were to run away. He said that, one day, while walking with some friends, one of them pointed up to a mesa where they saw the woman standing on a cliff. He surmised the cliff to be at least 100 feet tall and was in broad daylight. They watched her just stand there, staring out over the cliff into the desert beyond for some time. Then, all of a sudden, she stepped out of sight and floated to the bottom where they lost sight of her. Needless to say, they ran. He also said that whenever she would come around, people's sheep would die. And that was always a sure sign someone was a skinwalker. He said that the sheep were weak and couldn't take the evil energy of the creatures even being around, sort of like a canary in a coal mine. He said that many people were aware of her and that no one was sure exactly where she lived, but they thought it was up in one of the caves in the messes. The elder said she was quite old, but nobody knew exactly how old, and none of them were about to go up there and get rid of her, as they were all scared. This Navajo swore to this, and by the look on his face, it was easy to believe him. The second account involves an encounter near his own home. The property which he had grown up in had a Hogan off the side that at one point was their original home. A Hogan is a traditional Navajo dwelling that is eight-sided and usually made out of logs like an octagon cabin. He said that he was up on a hill overlooking the property when he saw a short, hairy-looking thing walking around one side of the Hogan. It appeared to be sneaking and moving stealthily. At first, he thought it was a wild animal of some kind. Next, he saw his sister coming around the other side of the Hogan, and because of the curve of the structure, she could not see the creature. He yelled, trying to warn her, and when he did, she stopped and looked up and waved. She thought he was playing. But the creature stopped too, 
then took a step back and pressed its back up against the wall of the Hogan, where it became invisible and morphed into the wood. He said that when it happened, it looked almost exactly like the camouflage the alien in the movie Predator used. It could be a little bit of suggestion, power of suggestion there, but we'll continue on anyway. He started running down the hill, yelling at his sister to run, which she did. The skinwalker then pulled itself off the wall, resuming its hairy short stature again, and ran for the edge of the property, where there was a ditch that it jumped into. He stated that he had never seen anything run so fast in his life, and that it wasn't any coyote or deer, and that it ran on two legs. He told his family about it, and they called a medicine man to come perform a cleansing. The last story I have for you here comes from the same website, and it comes from the third man at that campfire that night. And it began with him telling the story of how he was at home drinking with a couple of buddies one night. And they got the bright idea to go kill a skinwalker because when you drink, you have fantastic ideas. Nothing beats the bottom of a bottle when it comes to creativity. His friend said that he knew where one had been seen recently and that there was a good chance it was still around. They grabbed a 12-gauge shotgun and a knife and the three of them left for the desert. He said that his mother was carrying on, trying to get them to stop, telling them that this wasn't a game, but they left anyway. When they got to the area where the skinwalker was supposed to be, he jumped back into the truck with the shotgun. The other friend held a spotlight, which he was scouring the desert with, and the third one drove. After a little while, they saw something in the spotlight. He said that it was short and hairy and around four feet tall, and it was moving fast on two legs, occasionally going down on all fours, then back up to two. He told me that he was in disbelief when he first saw it, and that he really didn't expect to see a skinwalker as he never really believed in them and was just showing off for his friends. He figured that they would just end up shooting coyotes at night. He told me that for a brief second he thought to himself that he would kill it anyway and show everyone and do something good for his people. As his friend raced up behind in the truck, he took aim and shot it square in the back, which slowed it down considerably. He would later learn that they were driving around 60 miles an hour to catch up with it. As the truck caught up with it, he jumped out of the truck with his knife and tackled it, stabbing it multiple times. He said after that, everything was a blur of fur, blood, and pain as he was rolling and wrestling with the thing. He said that he felt a sharp pain in his abdomen, and at some point, then he felt the wetness. He looked up and was staring the thing straight in the eyes. He said that they were indeed red like the legends, and that it was the evilest presence he had ever witnessed. By this time, his friend had circled the truck around and was coming back upon them. The creature jumped off of him and took off running again. Now, During the storytelling, the man lifted up his shirt and showed a scar that looked like a mountain lion had raked him from just below the left peck to his lower right stomach. He said that it was the dumbest thing he had ever done in his life and warned everybody against the curiosity that they may have towards the skinwalker. He told the group to just trust that they were real and were not to be played with. He said this took place around the Kayaneta area. Further on down the article, he does go on to state how you can kill a skinwalker. It is said that one way to kill a skinwalker is to discover its identity. And it is for this very reason skinwalkers are reputed to be extremely secretive. It is understood that when a medicine man decides to become a witch, he gives up his claim as a human being. It is understood that he has chosen evil over life at this point and is no longer protected by law and may be killed at will. It is said that to kill a skinwalker, one must learn its name, take it back to its home, and yell the name for all to hear. Once this is done, the skinwalker will soon die of a disease or misfortune. 
Now, it does seem rather simple to perform this task, and being of Western culture, it's hard to imagine how this could actually kill a creature. When it comes to native cultures, what makes it into the superstitions and the oral teachings are rarely the full story, and instead is often a simplified synopsis of an event or process. Certain things are simply understood in their culture, and often no thought is given as to detail or methodology during the delivery process of these ancient accounts. Furthermore, on the site, it does go on to say that there might be a connection between the cryptid and the geography. Now, he goes on to say that he can't help but notice that the primary tribes which harbor belief in skinwalkers all happen to be located in the same geographic area, that area being Utah and south of the Grand Canyon, then east into New Mexico, or easier yet, the area known as the Colorado Plateau. This huge plateau includes such national parks as Zion, Bryce Canyon, Goblin Valley, Valley of the Gods, Monument Valley, Arches Natural Bridges, Canyonlands, Chaco Canyons, Mesa Verde, and dozens more, each of them isolated in some of the roughest country the U.S. has to offer. Could it be possible this phenomenon occurs in this area due to its geological makeup, or is it simply cultural primitive stories extending to cousin tribes, recited over campfires to scare the children into staying close to the camp and perpetuating down through the oral tradition? However, it does seem interesting that a lot of these sightings take place in the same general area. Last week when I looked at the Alaskan Triangle, or Vortexes, or whatever you want to call it, the geography and the geological makeup did come up there as well. Now, a lot of people say that it is a very rough area to navigate through, and that's why everybody goes missing when they travel through there. And now we have the different geography in Arizona or those southwestern states that kind of play into the legend of the skinwalker. Now there's no denying that the earth has a very powerful force about it, be that natural or supernatural, and perhaps these creatures and supernatural or paranormal events are drawn to these locations. Now why is it that the skinwalker is closer to Arizona and closer to the deserts than it is to, say, the wilds of Oregon or the mountainous regions of further east in the Colorado area. As I explore more states, maybe more of these strange little connections to the world and the earth and geography will present themselves. Only time will tell, and next week I will cover the very next state in alphabetical order, and that would be Arkansas. So, until next week.